Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Making Sense of Islam podcast. A few housekeeping points before we begin. Every episode is accompanied by episode notes that highlight everything I've referenced. So people, verses, hadith, etc. They are all in the episode notes, which you can find at makingsenseofislam.com. Most of the episodes are short form, so the notes are few. But when you listen to longer form episodes, the notes are meant to be a resource and an aid. Number two, I would really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast on whatever platform you use and leave a comment, hopefully positive. And number three, every Friday I send out a short email called Coexist Ruminations that shares what I'm working on and reading in my four focus areas. If you'd like to receive these, please sign up by going to makingsenseofislam.com forward slash Friday. That's it for now. Enjoy the show. If you have ever spent time studying any of the Islamic sciences, one of the patterns that becomes clear is the attention scholars in the past gave to documenting principles, axioms, rules, aphorisms, etc. In almost every discipline, you will find these cataloged, all with the aim of making the study of that particular discipline easy. So, rather than always having to start with a minutia and then making sense of it, students typically learn these principles, which provide important frameworks to make sense of it all. Now, while these principles are usually for students and experts of these fields, I believe that many Muslims seeking to make sense of Islam require their own set of first principles, through which they can approach Islam as a religion and discipline of study, and also draw conclusions that are both at one with the fundamentals of the faith, and also compatible with our current condition. In this series, and at this point I'm not exactly sure how long it's going to be, but I will say at least 10 episodes, I want to highlight some of these first principles that help us create a mental framework through which we can make sense of Islam today. Enjoy. One of our meta-principles and meta-concepts that's really important to keep in mind vis-a-vis understanding and explaining Islam today is what we would call, or what is called rather, the concept of the theoretical person. And this is maybe more common uh, maybe than some of the other principles that I've discussed because a theoretical person, we all understand you know, companies and corporations and organizations, and these are theoretical entities. Uh, sometimes in their legal construct, they might almost seem like they're people. And in, and in this country, in the United States, in many court cases, corporations are, are almost seen as, as people. But they're not people, of course. There's a huge difference between an actual person and a theoretical person, or an entity, rather, or a legal entity. Now, why is this a concept or a principle that we have to keep in mind? Of course, we believe, as Muslims, we believe that people are, are all of us, we're made up of body, soul, and, and uh, self. The body, we all understand, the soul is is the battery that, that makes us makes the body work. And the self, the nafs, uh, also we refer to it as al-aql or the intellect. That's what receives the, the message from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's what we use to understand the Qur'an, what we use to understand the message, and we either accept it or we don't accept it, etc. But an entity, a legal entity, doesn't have that. Even though it might function as a person, in, in, and we'll give some examples now, 
it's not made up of a body, a soul, and a self, and all of that kind of stuff. They're, they're different. Obviously, they're, anybody would agree that they're different. But the reason it's important is that these legal entities and these theoretical structures that we have in the modern world are not necessarily legal structures and theoretical structures that we have in our inherited fiqh. So when we come in to read about the sharia, the sharia governs the actions of human beings. If an organization or an entity, whether it be a for-profit entity or a not-for-profit entity or whatever the denominations are in any legal jurisdiction, even though those entities might engage in actions that are similar or almost look exactly like human actions, they're not going to take necessarily the same set of rulings that the Sharia has for individual people. And that's a concept that, that people that are interpreting Islamic law, for example, whether they be muftis or faqih, you know, the jurists or something like that, now they really need to keep in mind because oftentimes they can be miss apply certain Sharia rulings to legal entities and end up saying, well, this is not permissible or this is permissible and, and confuse the matter. So I want to give two examples, and this is not going to be a very long discussion, but I just want to give two examples that should make this clear. The first example is in, in fiqh we have a section called guaranteeing debt. So if my friend owes somebody else money, I can go to the person who he owes money and say, look, I'm going to guarantee the debt. Let's say my friend's name is Abdullah. So I say, Abdullah owes somebody a hundred bucks. And I say, okay, Abdullah, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to guarantee the debt. I'll go to, to the person that you owe money. And I will uh, offer up that hundred bucks. So now you owe me money. And when the Sharia discusses this, it discusses this as a you know, it's almost like an act of chivalry. You do this to support your brother, brother or sister in need. And in the Sunni schools, in that example, I can't take money from my friend Abdullah on top of the money he owes me. So I can't take a fee for that service. That would be considered haram. In the Jafari school, in the main school of Shia Islam, that's permissible that you could take money. But in the Sunni schools, we can't. And the argument is that that extra money, like let's say I tell Abdullah, okay, I'll, I'll cover you for the hundred bucks, but uh, you know, you got to give me five bucks on top of that. The Sharia, in its Sunni understanding, understands that five extra dollars almost like riba. That's like a usurious transaction where you're taking extra. The, the guaranteeing of debt you're supposed to do out of the generosity. Oh, first of all, I'm going to get the money back. That's the idea behind it, is that I'm just helping my brother or sister out. But I shouldn't make matters worse by taking extra. So the Sunni school argue, well, that extra money, that extra fee, it's, it's like ribawi almost. It's like a, a ribawis, if you could even use that word, ribawis transaction. So we wouldn't accept that. But let's say we have an organization or an institution or even a company whose task is to help people out in that situation, to make, to cover these type of debts and loans for people on a wide scale. Now that organization obviously will not survive or will not be uh, sustainable unless it generates some sort of fee from that transaction. So then the question is, can we have that organization that's engaging in what looks like the same exact thing it's, it's, it's guaranteeing the debt, it's paying the money. 
can we have that organization, you know, extract a fee from that transaction, a percentage or whatever the case may be, or, uh, you know, some type of flat fee or rate or percentage of the money owed, etc. And this is where this concept becomes important, because we have to remember, if we're all thinking as jurists, we have to remember that that institution, that legal entity is not a person. What the Sharia in the Sunni schools is talking about is the guaranteeing of debt people to people, because it's supposed to be a generous type of support for our uh, you know, brothers and sisters. But the organization is not a person. It's not doing that for this reason. It's just providing a service. So then one could argue, and we're just sort of, this is a very basic theoretical example. One can argue, okay, the organization would be in its right to exact some kind of fee or charge something, a percentage, flat fee, etc. So you could use that example for many types of transactions. Just because something looks the same and even might end up with the same result does not mean that the Sharia will rule on those two things or those three things in the exact same way. Another example, as an individual person, myself for example, I can't buy and sell from myself. So if I had, uh, you know, I made um, a widget, I can't sell it to myself and buy it from myself because I already own it. So from the, and I know it's like a silly example, but we'll make a real life example in which this will make sense. So I can't buy and sell something from myself because the Sharia would see that, well, if you already own it, you can't re-own it. And that type of uh, transaction, the Sharia would see as a nonsical transaction and therefore not permissible. So it wouldn't be permissible for me to say that. But if I was an organization or I was a company and I had branches or I had offices or I had restaurants, multiple, one branch could borrow from another. Let's say I own two cafes and one cafe was doing better than another. But it's owned by the same company. It's, it's owned by the Acme LLC company. And it just has branch A and branch B. Well, branch A is doing better, better than branch B. Branch B is across town and it's in need of, you know, cups and napkins and supplies. So it will borrow from or it will buy from A. And then therefore you can show the profit and the loss and the sale on the balance sheet of both organizations. It's both legal. Well, first of all, it happens all the time. And it's completely legal. And the Sharia wouldn't say that it's, it's, it's uh, forbidden or it doesn't make sense or it's nonsical. Because again, this is not a person buying and selling from themselves. This is a company or this is an organization or it's a bank with branches, or it's a multinational company with you know, branches all over the place, etc. So these two very simple examples highlight that what is permissible for the individual or not permissible for the individual does not necessarily equate with the same set of rulings if we're talking about organizations and legal entities in any country, in any jurisdiction. Now, this is, I'm giving American examples, but of course this could apply in European countries or, or even Muslim countries. Why is this important for us to discuss or highlight as maybe simple or silly as it might sound? Is that, as I said a few minutes ago, these type of organizations and institutions were not the norm at the time of the Prophet Sallallahu and, and the Sahaba. Obviously, that, that didn't exist at that time. But it's common now. It's very common that we have these type of resources, whether they be not-for-profit or for-profit. 
And that's actually more and more the way that the world is going. So our fiqh needs to be able to adapt to that and understand that. And it does, it does that. But we as individuals, we sometimes need, as Muslims, we need to catch up to that understanding and realize that these type of activities, they might look the same, they might you know, achieve the same goals, but the sharia is going to rule on them different. And this highlights, and this is the last thing I'll say about this, this highlights another important concept that in a future time we will discuss, which is that all of the rulings of the sharia change with four major issues, or can change with four major issues. They can change with time, with place, with circumstance, and with people. The, the ruling itself, the hukm, the ahkam of the sharia, their application changes. Not that the ruling itself is like disappears or it changes or, or, or vanishes. No, the, the rulings are the same because they come from the Qur'an and the sunnah. But the way that they are applied can change with these four things. So in the, in the discussion that we just had, this is a change of rulings given people. That we're moving from an actual person in the, in the case of guaranteeing debt to a theoretical person, which is an institution. Or in the second example, we are moving from me as an individual buying and selling for myself, which is, doesn't work in the sharia, to buying and selling within a company or within branches or divisions of the same legal you know, corporate entity, for example. So the, the, the application of these rules change because the, the, the person, quote-unquote, in this example changed. But the rulings can also change with time. You know, one, gener one time period is different than a time period, etc., 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 for all of those four categories. And we'll discuss those, those later. So anyway, this, was the dis this is just a basic overview of the importance of highlighting a theoretical person or legal entities uh, as a meta-principle that we need to keep in mind as we seek to apply Islam today. Allahu <laughs> Akbar.